Louise Crawford, welcome to Young, Dumb and Politically Disengaged. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm really pleased to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Now, you've hosted your own podcast as well that I've just finished listening to. Um, it's a 10-part series called Politics is Not a Dirty Word, which was very fascinating. Um, tell us a bit about it. Well, a bit like you, Leslie, like you dived in big head first last year. Um, I like the idea that polis- politics is actually accessible to people because it does have so much uh, effect on everyone's lives. So I want people to be not necessarily political animals, but be a little bit aware of how it works and think about it a little bit because your vote really matters. So I guess that was the whole point of the podcast is trying to make politics like a politics 101 that actually it's not all bad and there's a lot of good stuff as well, but also break it down because for a lot of people, politics, like it was for me seven years ago, was just this opaque thing that I didn't understand really. I went and voted but had no concept of anything behind it. So that's really my thinking behind that. And and I want it to be, yeah, just something that people think about or give give thought to a bit more than perhaps they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it really, it shouldn't really be a dirty word. I mean, it's like one of those topics that we're told not to talk about, like religion, politics. It, it shouldn't be taboo, right? It should be healthy debate around um, good ideas and learning how to look at things and critique them and assess like if we if that was the policy, what is the outcome? And, you know, not, not just read the headlines because the media has a certain bias. We all have our own biases. So just trying to make it a bit more accessible, but also a bit more um, thoughtful. Just wanted to, before we get stuck in, congratulate you for not only your success following last year's local government election, being re-elected as a Labor councillor for the City of Port Phillip, but also for your appointment of mayor late last year. I know, it's pretty exciting. Thank you very much. Um, it was, it's, a, it's a double bonus year. In a, in, a, in a difficult year of a pandemic, I felt very uh, lucky to have those two outcomes. I think the one challenge that I've noticed with being mayor is you feel like you've just got started and then the term has ended in terms of delivering some of the things that you're particularly working on. But, you know, who knows? I've been lucky for a year. We'll see what happens beyond that. Can I just say this is a very uncomfortable part of the year of uh, any councillor's (laughs) term because we vote just the nine of us every year. There's obviously different people have uh, different wants and, and, and some people want to be mayor and it gets a bit challenging to come to a decision. I just hate it. I hate the um, personally the awkward conversations and um, but the necessary conversations in order to put your hand up again or um, or not, whatever it might be, and um, and try and get garner the votes, enough votes of the rest of your colleagues to be mayor. <laughs> Just a, a bit of background about you for our listeners. Uh, you ran as the Labor candidate for the seat of Brighton in the 2014 Victorian state election. In 2016, you were first elected to council and you were appointed deputy mayor during that term. 
And you also ran for the Senate in the 2019 federal election. So your um, your Instagram name, Louise on the Hustings, is very appropriate. You've been involved in lots of campaigning. Um, you describe yourself as having an eclectic employment history before politics. You were an actor. You worked in film and TV, appearing in a whole bunch of Aussie soaps and dramas. Uh, you were a hospitality professional and in administration as well. And you served on the Community Grants and Cultural Development Committees. You were a board member of Gasworks and you've even trained with Al Gore in the Climate Reality Project. And there are many local issues you're passionate about as well, including the recovery of Port Phillip's creative community and traders, creating litter picking programs, flood mitigation, waste transformation, action on climate change and greening, and continued support for Port Phillip's early education organisations. I imagine being mayor, and you said touched on it before, during a pandemic would come with many unique challenges. How has Port Phillip fared over the past 18 months? Look, it's been particularly difficult because our area in terms of the local economy is very focused or people focused. It requires people coming and visiting and spending time and money and energy in the municipality, whether it's, you know, some of the big events or, uh, you know, sporting events, you know, that Melbourne Marathon and all those different things or just our fabulous uh, food and wine and entertainment venues. Uh, and, of course, that's the thing that happens in a pandemic is we don't see each other and we can't go and hang out. And so I do think that it's been particularly tough on this area and the international tourism has disappeared too. And St Kilda, I think after the city of Melbourne, is the most visited place in Victoria. Uh, so we have really felt it uh, locally, which which is it's hard to see. I worry. I worry for everyone. I'm okay personally, but I do worry for the bigger picture. And I think it will be a tough road out. We're far from through the pandemic yet. And what do you hope to achieve for the Port Phillip community over the next few years? What can Port Phillip residents look forward to? Well, in a big picture sense, I think one of the things that we did realise in the pandemic is how important our local open spaces are. So really looking for those opportunities. I know as a council, we really want to um, expand our access to open spaces, finding those little pocket parks or planning for the big long-term spaces that we'll probably all need in Fisherman's Bend or um, East St Kilda. So most of it, some of it may not come online straight away, but planning for those those open spaces, that's a really important thing to me. But also obviously focusing on economic uh, recovery and looking into where we can host events that bring people back to the municipality and help sp- support local traders and arts organisations, I think will be key. And extending um, the outdoor parklets, which have been very successful, things like that. A- and obviously, continually advocating to the other levels of government for support for locals in different forms. Tell us a little bit about the St Kilda Fest plans for next year. Yes. So... It's going to be challenging, but I think it could also be like an exceptional event. Um, We're hosting it over sort of a nine-day period as opposed to a one-day period so we can limit the numbers of people that come and also uh, kind of extend the, um, the opportunity for traders and locals to get involved, obviously all in a COVID safe way. 
there's a lot of work being done right now with our officers because because the restrictions are not really clear of where we'll be in February. So there's a lot of moving parts, but the opportunity to come together as a community and share music, which you know that that shared experience of music is can be magical on the foreshore or through parts of St Kilda. You know, as the sun goes down and we're all singing along to whatever artist we're lucky enough to have I think could be really healing and really joyous and we do all need something to look forward to. Now let's turn to the vaccine rollout. Um, Just over half of Australians aged 16 and older are now fully vaccinated and at our current pace of around a million jabs, second jabs a week, we can expect to reach that 70% double dose milestone in about a month from now. Nearly 80% of Victorians have had one dose of the vaccine, while around 50% have had both. But according to the COVID Live website data, the vaccination rates in the city of Port Phillip are significantly lower than most of the other local government areas. So Port Phillip comes in at 75th out of Victoria's 79 LGAs for first doses at around 70% and 59th for second doses at around 50% whereas just next door in Bayside, um, they're number 10, 10th for first jabs at nearly 90% and fourth for both jabs at around 65%. So why is that? Why is Port Phillip so far behind other local government areas when it comes to vaccination rates? Well, I don't know that I know the answer, but but before I ponder it, I just want to say Port Phillip as a a council area likes to think of ourselves as leaders. (laughs) So it's kind of disappointing to see that we're so far behind on this particular one, especially being so important. And really for our area to thrive again, it requires everyone to get double vaccinated. So if anyone from the city of Port Phillip is listening, please get vaccinated. Look, it's interesting because I did see that some of the other figures like Melbourne City and Yarra are also lower on on the... And I think part of it is perhaps there's a slightly younger population, but it's a very transient population. So they say by the time every election comes round, there are nearly 40% of our municipality are new residents. So I'm wondering whether part of it is is that, but I don't know. Have you got any ideas that you would think, why are we so far behind? Yeah, I think age has to, that has to be a factor. It just does. So like eligibility of different age cohorts, I think. But um, I don't know. If it was to do with moving, people are... Oh, I really don't. That's It's just really strange, isn't it? It is because you would have thought that younger people, now that they're eligible, a lot of them have taken it up. And I have to go hats off to all our younger people because they have stepped up at a level that the rest of us have not recently. And it's so impressive. And I know that I believe that you and I were both very early uptakers of the uh, vaccine, which was great. But um, I don't know, maybe some people are not getting the information if they're international students or on visas, I'm not sure. I'd love to know the answer so we can target them. But I do know that council is going to be doing a lot of um, social media over the next couple of weeks to really try and get people to step it up. Because otherwise you can't go to our lovely pubs and restaurants and all those lovely things. So it's actually worth it. Last week we saw protests turned violent in Melbourne with what started off as a CFMEU rally against mandatory vaccines in the construction industry before growing to include thousands of others, including anti-vaxxers and far-right 
agitators and hundreds were arrested, becoming aggressive and clashing with police uh, as the crowd took over Melbourne landmarks, including the Westgate Bridge and the Shrine of Remembrance. Health authorities have since confirmed that two protesters who attended the rallies have tested positive for COVID as well. And then just over the weekend, an anti-lockdown, anti-vaccination demonstration sprung up around St Kilda, around the foreshore. Almost 100 arrests were made there and um, Victoria Police have said all those arrested would be issued with penalty notices for breaching the health orders. Um, What's your message to these protesters or rioters and and what was the reaction over the weekend from the local community and local business owners? From the people that contacted me and obviously what I see in our local Facebook and social media groups, uh, most people were not very impressed because I think, well, people didn't feel that that group of people when they came to St Kilda represented the majority of the community here. you know, I'm not sure what they're protesting against. Is it a, the ability to get really sick and die or not quite sure? And I think that this area, one of the wonderful things about this area and probably lots of local government areas, is that sense of community and kind of looking out for each other. And I noticed it, everything from Spoonville to, you know, people posting, oh, support this business, that, you know, takeaways from there to keep them, up, you know, going during this time. So I just... That idea that your right to not get an injection that helps save your life is more important than saving the lives of other people doesn't sit well with me. And I, I don't really understand it. And I wonder if really underneath it all is some other agenda or what they're not feeling heard about. But I, I just think we live in a collective society and you have to be as a good citizen good citizen and do your bit and that looks like different things at different times like stopping at red lights and you know um queuing up for things we all have these unread rules that or unwritten rules that help society function and taking a vaccine to look after yourself and your loved ones is another part of that there is a small cluster happening um in the municipality so it's really important for people to get vaccinated and get tested if they've got symptoms because there is actually a bit more virus here at the moment. Now let's finish up on a positive note. Um, The Victorian Pride Centre, after more than a year of delays and COVID-related setbacks, the centre officially opened in July, although we've pretty much been in lockdown ever since then. That must have been the tiny little window of it was magical just I think it was one or two weekends (laughs) yeah and it's the the first of its kind in Australia it's located on Fitzroy Street St Kilda um, built on a site that was donated by the city of Port Phillip and it celebrates Victoria's diverse LGBTQ communities honors their past and supports related organizations and groups to continue working towards equality Um, It's a community hub. It's a secure home for a range of different um, organisations. It's got a health service and community spaces that can be used by smaller groups in meeting rooms, cafe, a bar, theatrette, a gallery. Tenants include Australia's only gay and lesbian radio station, Joy 94.9, Transgender Victoria, the Gay and Lesbian Multicultural Council, the Bookstore Hairs and Hyenas, the Melbourne Queer Film Festival and Switchboard as well. 
struggling local traders are hoping that the Pride Centre will help to rejuvenate the area alongside renew Fitzroy Street, which is a project where vacant shop fronts have been offered to local artists and small businesses with free or low rent in an effort to bring foot traffic and culture back to the street. What does it mean to you for Port Phillip to be the home of the Victorian Pride Centre and what will both the Pride Centre and the Renew Project bring to Fitzroy Street, to St Kilda and to Port Phillip more broadly? You know what I think the word I'd use to say about having the Pride Centre? I feel really honoured that our municipality um, was chosen as, as the place and I also think it's appropriate, which is not a very sexy word when you're talking about such an amazing building, um, because I don't know if you know, but uh, basically LGBTIQ plus rights and activism started in St Kilda, in this area back in, and I'm going to get my years wrong, I want to say oh, 60s. So they used to have, oh, even in the 30s, the Prince Hotel used to have um, uh, gay friendly nights. Um, and Pokies and Pennies, was that what it was called? My memory for the details is not great, but the first things like some of the activist groups met on Ackland Street and also in the restaurant that used to be where the Pride Centre is in the very early days of a few different activist groups, queer activist groups met and had their, you know, initial meetings and, um, you know, building of their organisations and, and building the momentum for uh, queer rights happened here in this municipality. So for it to come home, um, and be where the Pride March goes past. I just think it's like all, all the all the roads led back to where it started. And what does the building itself and, and of course, the amazing array of organisations that are going to be homed there or housed there, I think it brings hope, not just for um, the local traders, because that'll bring, obviously, a lot of traffic during the day for the local day economy, but hope for um, the LGBT. LGBTIQ plus community um, of a place where they can feel welcome and accepted and um, and grow and develop and flourish, you know, not just accepted. So when you walk into the building, I don't know if, if you've walked past it all, but when you walk in, they have this amazing foyer section and it goes up through the atrium and it fills you with this incredible sense of joy and celebration and I think if you were a young queer person walking in there, you'd be like, wow, I am worth something. Like, this is a celebration of who I am. And I think that is a game changer when it comes to people, you know, assuming their own identity and, and flourishing. And so on a really deep level, that building is, is you know, a lifesaver as well as going to bring so much darn joy and fabulousness to the neighbourhood, I just can't wait till it really gets going after this lockdown. And and they're really committed to working. It's not just for the queer community; it's for everyone. And they're really committed to making it um, celebratory and welcoming, and in you know uh, for everyone. And I just think the joy that is going to come out of that building—it's very appropriate that Joy FM is there as well because it's it's amazing and the border is amazing and the CEO is amazing and just everything. Uh, it's going to be one of those special landmarks which people will want to go and visit. And the, to think that it's here and Council had a little part to play in it is, it's, it's um, an honour. It really is an honour. 
I did read a quote last night and I can't remember who it's from, but they said optimism is a form of courage. And I thought, hmm, I like that. Um, I like to be a Pollyanna and I like to look for the positive things in life. That's that's my shtick. And, and the number one thing I think in doing that is well, two things, is being kind and being curious. But uh, kindness goes a hell of a long way, especially during a pandemic. That is it. That is it. Thank you. It's been great. Thank you for doing it again so that I can be on it. And I'll see you sooner rather than later. Yes, sounds good. Thanks, Louise. Thanks. Bye.